It is an honor to be with you this morning. Let me uh, invite you to stand uh, for the reading of God's Word. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, I'm going to read uh, through Matthew, starting in chapter 4, but you can join me there, or you can just move to Matthew 28. We'll spend our time in the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 16. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And as he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria, so they brought him to those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. When he saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and then he began to teach them. I will skip down. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And then Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's God's word. You can have a seat. It is uh, truly an honor to be with you this morning. Glenn is a good friend um, and a dear brother. It's been uh, it's been a, a joy to to journey with him over these last I don't know how many years it is. I don't, he's not good with lakes or numbers, so we've probably known each other a lot longer than than 13 years. But uh, blessed to to know him. Um, yeah, my name is Chris. I'm a, I'm a husband to one, a father to eight, including two newly adopted ones this year in our life. So our life is full. And up until recently, I had the privilege of pastoring a little church in East Vancouver. Uh, here's our family. There we go. See if this works. There we go. That's our crew. Only the cute ones we brought with us this morning. My older sons are all at home, and uh, it's a it is a blessing. These are the wild and wonderful souls that Jesus has entrusted my wife Susie and I to help shape, to have a, a part in apprenticing and discipling and, put, and pointing them towards Jesus. For the last 11 years, God's called and equipped and sent us to plant a little church uh, in Vancouver. 
And during that time, I had the privilege of supporting church planting as well through a group called formerly Church Planting BC. And it was in that season that I actually was in this building many years ago when it still had dirt on the ground, when Glenn was just dreaming of what could this place be. He already had the name. He already had the logo figured out in his mind. And, and, uh, and I was on this team that assessed and prayed through this building and anointed it and walked through every square inch of this place asking Jesus to do a mighty work. And I'll admit, confession, uh, I was one of the naysayers. I was one of the guys that with my arms crossed is like, this is too small. Who plants a church and a coffee house? That may be work in Abbotsford or Chilliwack, but come on. And I was one of those guys saying, I don't know, Glenn, this seems crazy, but there's just the factor I didn't consider was your pastor. The dude is tenacious. He has a spiritual gift of perseverance. He just was, he was focused. And I look back and I realize it was actually the, a call. He had a calling to this place to this community and to the vision that the ledge and the rock Squamish has become. So I'm thankful to have been wrong in those early years. Um, yeah, I'm thankful I got outvoted on that. So for the past year, I've dedicated uh, time to this group called Church Planting BC and then C2C Network and then Multiply and now C2C Collective. And then last month, I found out that I'm out of a job. Organizations changed, restructured, and a bunch of us regional people were just kind of said, you know what, there's something else for you, but it's not here. And so it's this awesome adventure that I'm in. Eight kids living in the most expensive city I can imagine, and no job in a month. And I'm going to talk to you about discipleship, apprenticeship. And there's no greater time than when you're, than you're actually desperate. Because your kids are watching you. Those people are watching me. Everybody's watching. Like, what, how is Chris going to respond to this? And so I just say that as a disclaimer that I'm actually preaching with a limp and with a real level of dependence. I'm singing songs like, Lord, I need you, um, with a different level of intensity, because we actually do. Right? When you're comfortable and things are going kind of up and to the right and smooth, you, you sing these songs, but they often don't penetrate much more than your lips and a little bit in your head. But right now, we're just desperate for Jesus to move. I look forward to the next chapter. I don't know what it is, but I'm asking the Lord to grow all of our faith for him. Anyway, we're in a, we're an exciting, let's call it a discipleship opportunity with our family. Uh, Lord, if you don't show up, we're done. So I'm honored to be here to preach out of my weakness and, and ideally in God's strength. So I need this sermon. I need this reminder uh, as much or more than anybody in this room. Acknowledge that. So let's let God's word and let it speak to us, challenge and mobilize us on Jesus' mission. Um, if you're new, if you're a, a young Christian or a mature, multiplying leader, you've been here for years, I don't know almost any of you, a few faces I recognize, um, my prayer is that these words from Jesus would inform and transform and deeply encourage you. If you're here as a skeptic or a doubter, uh, I just want to acknowledge how amazing that is, what a miracle you are, what an answer to prayer you are. If you just walked into this place, it may be your first week, or you just, you just, somebody just met that just moved here. Uh, but if you don't yet know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, don't, don't think that this was an accident or coincidence. You may be watching online right now. I don't know this whole Facebook Live thing. That's not a coincidence. So the Holy Spirit wants to encounter you and reach you and invite you, call you to himself. I was praying this last week. I was up on Black Tusk uh, over your city. I was praying for, uh, for reconciliation in this city. I don't know the community that well. I, don't, I know there's a new Squamish and an old Squamish, and they don't like each other. All the Vancouver people moving up here probably. But I'm praying for reconciliation. I know there's a bunch of churches here um, praying for unprecedented unity. Also praying for the Holy Spirit to just really pour out in this community and in all the local churches that would result in a, in a deep hunger for the word, a love for neighbor, and a passion for the mission of making disciples. 
I prefer the word apprenticeship. I know people are used to the word discipleship. I like the idea of apprenticeship. It's the same thing. Um, and this is really the big idea that I feel the Lord has impressed on my heart that I want to share with you this morning. Right, to be an apprentice, there we are, to be an apprentice is to center and order your life around three ideas. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. It's really the last thing he told us to do. We just read the words, and it's the thing that matters most. Go make disciples, make apprentices of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and I'm with you always. Very familiar ideas to many of you, maybe new to some. Um, my hope is that they would be compelling and captivating and clarified. They, they'd be practical and real today, not just good ideas, not just words to follow, but actually there'd be some meat on that to, to chew on and to... Uh, to transform us. So here's how I'll frame our time together. A brief history of apprenticeship, the pattern of apprenticeship, a paradigm for apprenticeship, pastoral perspectives, and the problem with apprenticeship. Let me pray for each of us and for my own heart as we walk through this together. Holy Spirit, I acknowledge again that you are present with us today. You promised to be with us and you are here right now, that you are moving in our hearts, that none of us are here by accident. We acknowledge, Jesus, your lordship, that you are the good shepherd that leads this church, that you are also the rock upon which it is founded. We thank you for your kingdom work in this city over many generations, and in this past uh, decade or so that the rock has been here, we thank and praise you. We pray for the unprecedented unity within the local churches that we would, that right now as churches are gathered across this city in different neighborhoods, that you, Jesus, would be the hero of each of those stories, that you would be calling men and women and young people to your family, adopting them into yours. I pray for the gift of salvation even, even here today. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that my words, anything that's from me would fall flat on the ground and anything from you would resonate powerfully. Strengthen our, our, our minds soften our hearts. May we receive from you, Jesus. May you be glorified. May you be the hero of this day. In your name, amen. All right, when our kids um, turn 13, there we go. Here's some of my boys. When our kids turn 13, my wife Susie and I, we do this little rite of passage. Some of you may do versions of this, I, I suspect. Um, Susie takes the girls on some sort of an overnight or multi-night adventure to some beautiful spot. She just took our 13-year-old daughter to San Francisco for, uh, for a few days, and they hung out on this place called Glass Beach. It was just apparently beautiful. I take the boys to a place where they could die. That's what I want to do. I'll take them up to a high place where they've never been, where there's bears, and we just sleep exposed, and we just want to, I want them to feel very small and very weak. Uh, on purpose, right? So we've got three teenage sons, and each of them has had their, their man time on the mountain, and we, we choose some mountain. One of them was actually up on Black Tusk, where I was last week, and each of them has that time and higher than they've ever been and I challenge them and I encourage them all the way up and they're, they're wrestling. I'm getting old and I'm getting tired and now they're getting stronger than I am and I'm making them carry more weight. It's good. But we're preparing for the trip. We're training, we're packing and then we're sent out to a point where there's no turning back. And it's always been this powerful time of sharing, of, of prayer, of, of worship when you just see God's creation and I see the artists around here, the photographers you live in one of those places where God's glory and creation is just magnificent. So it's a time when you feel very small and very close to God. And I have the privilege of teaching them what's been taught me over the years. You know, how to use a rope, how to use a harness, how to, how to self-arrest, how to, how to navigate glaciers, 
Ways not to die on a mountain. Those are good things to know when you're on the mountain. And this is what apprenticeship looks like to some small degree. It's not great. I'm not very talented. I'm not very good on a mountain. I should never guide a team. I just guide my sons. Nobody can stop me from that. But I don't have any real skill in this. I just know enough to help somebody just a little bit younger than me or somebody who doesn't know anything. We're reenacting this big idea, God's big idea of apprenticeship in those little adventures. All right, if you're a parent, you get this. This is what you do. You may not call it that, but that's what you're doing. So there's this pattern all through the scripture of being called, of being equipped, and then being sent. Called, equipped, sent is the pattern, this thread woven all through scripture and through the church. Oh, that was good. They're about to attack me. That's great. Called, equipped, and sent. All right, let me let's just walk through a real brief history just to, just to refresh our memories on why apprenticeship, how this thread is woven through Scripture. We'll start in the beginning. There's God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfect unity. God speaks the world into existence, and he creates beauty and earth and sky and mountains and smells and tastes and all the animals and trees, and finally he creates a man and a woman, and he says it's good. It's perfect, in fact. There's no disease. There's no... Um, elections, there's only shalom, there's peace, there's unity. God tells humanity, cultivate the land, make things, grow things, be fruitful and multiply. There's only one tree you can't eat from, and of course they do. Eve eats, Adam sleeps, both pass the blame to somebody else. It's the fall of humanity, and everything from that point on has been broken. That's our story. We see it in physical, we see it in mental illness, we see it in war and violence and injustice. Um, in displacement, in relationships, in politics, in divorce. We see it everywhere, consequences of the fall. So God sends those two that he's created perfect and beautiful, he sends them out of the garden. But he promises to return and to defeat the dragon, to defeat the snake, to crush his head. Every and ever since that time, God has been on this rescue mission to redeem and restore the world, to seek and save and to make all things new, right? Language you're familiar with, to make a way for us to live together with him. History is the story of God calling and sending then ordinary men and women to join him in this mission. He started with the people to display his glory to the world. He sent them on his mission. Started with Abraham. Old dude, really old. Older than your pastor. Told to leave his country. Go! Genesis 12. Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go. And go to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And some folks, here's some folks you can apprentice with. Some, some of them are your family. Just model the way of walking with me, of trusting with me, of having faith in me. Then he calls Moses, I've heard my people cry. I've come to rescue them. Take them to the promised land to show them the way. In Exodus 3, God says, so go now. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses, too, an ordinary guy. Lord, I can't speak. I'm not good with my words. I'm not very articulate. I kind of have a st st stutter. Doesn't matter. I'm choosing you. Your cousin will be with you. He'll help you speak. All through the Bible for thousands of years, God sends judges and prophets and kings and ordinary people, people with unimpressive lives, people with tremendously sinful past lives, he sends them on his mission. He, says, he calls them, he redeems them, he equips them, and then he sends them out. Go, point the way. Invite others to join you on the way. And someday I will send a savior to make a way, to actually be the way, to be the ultimate apprentice who will transform 
how you relate with God, how you relate with the world, and how you relate with one another. After 400 years of silence, some mountain man shows up dressed in, in leather and eating bugs and honey. He comes along and he says, prepare the way of the Lord. The kingdom is coming. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then Jesus shows up. This God who has been calling and sending apprentices for thousands of years is himself sent on mission to establish his kingdom, to push back against the darkness, to restore shalom. And what does he do? After 30 years, he's a young man, 30 years old, he calls people to follow him to apprenticeship. We read some of those examples in Matthew 4. Just to remind you, he calls fishermen, blue-collar workers, trades folks, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men and women of people. He calls tax collectors, corrupt and opportunistic capitalists. Matthew 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. To his apprentices, or his disciples as you may know them, Matthew 10, verse 6. Proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have received, now freely give. When Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, in Matthew 28, familiar words, we've already read them this morning. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Practice and teach the way of Jesus, that he came, that he lived, that he died, that he rose, that he lives today and he's coming back, that his cross saves us from sin and yet his resurrection saves us to his mission. And then Jesus returns to his father. And what happens next is we get the Holy Spirit, Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is poured out and fills these apprentices and they are empowered to make the reality of Jesus known in word and deed in their community. They're empowered to multiply one another. They didn't have any programs, no discipleship programs, no no small group curriculum, no way to organize a gathering. All they had was a pattern and a person to follow. Calling, equipping, sending. Calling, equipping, sending with the Spirit of God on the mission of God. And for thousands of years, that's been the story. Even in our little part of the world, That's the story. God called Glenn and Janice to this place, to this time. He equipped them over many years, some of which were in the marketplace. Some of them were on staff at our church. Some of them were just being an elder at a church, a lay leader. And God calls and equips and then sends them and says, Glenn, Janice, your family, go, move to this beautiful town, this beautiful town that's now a city. Move to this place of influence. I want to make much of myself there. I don't need you, but I'm calling you. Will, you. will you follow me? And he did, and by grace, God has built and established a church upon himself, the rock. I praise him for that. But it's the same pattern. So let's look a little more at the pattern. Jesus teaches that he's the way, the truth, and the life. He calls for apprentices to follow him in his steps. Apprentices then adopt his practices, right? Prayer, we call it spiritual disciplines. Prayer, rhythms, healing, hospitality, fasting. God sends them out then with his spirit, telling them, go, help others, heal, preach, proclaim, live the way of Jesus, practice, 
And after a few years, there'll be some more people that you can teach the same and teach them to do what you're doing. And it'll just multiply and expand and repeat after me. Look to Jesus, follow his steps, adopt his practices, pray and go in the spirit. That's the pattern of Jesus' ministry, but it's the pattern of all apprenticeship. It's the pattern of parenting. It's the pattern if you're in, if you're in school, if you're learning something. In the marketplace, I went to business school, and the way they would talk about it is there's four steps. So one is, first is, I do and you watch. Second one, I do, you help. Third step, you do, I help. And the last step is, you do and I watch. That's, that's the secular version of apprenticeship. But Jesus, it's actually based on biblical principles. It's based on the way of Jesus and how he modeled and taught. So again, if you're a parent... And as an adopted parent, just as a, a reminder the Lord apparently needed to give us of how important this is, we have a precious daughter who hasn't grown up knowing this story. So we get the privilege of walking through and introducing this story to a kid that, if it was your kid or if it was my, or our kid from birth, would know this story, would know it in and out. And we get the fresh perspective of watch, watching the light come on in eyes and, and heart and just see the transformation that's through the Jesus Storybook Bible. This morning, we gave her her first Bible. The goal of apprenticeship with Jesus is to become more like Jesus, to do the work of his kingdom, to be about his business, and to walk alongside others to do the same. The key is really movement and maturity. Are we growing? Are we maturing? Are we, are we growing in the right direction? Are our lives being transformed or are just part of our lives? Is just our mind being transformed? Are we just learning more about him or are we actually becoming more like him? Right, that's one of, my, one of the sad parts of pastoral ministry in this last decade is seeing people who professed a real hunger for the word but whose character lacked the fruit of the spirit. They became prideful and frustrated that people wouldn't memorize verses as fast as them, that people's apologetics weren't as good as theirs. And it was this off-putting, weird pride that actually knew a lot about the Bible and knew all the right answers and, knew, and walked with Jesus very little. It's one of the deep grievances. It wasn't many, but the few that did that, what they were doing was exercising their mind, but not their heart. They weren't becoming more like Jesus, they just knew more about him. So the key is maturity becoming more like Jesus. I like the term practice. I like the term practice because it infers that we don't have it all together. Right? When you practice something, it's because you don't have it together. So you practice, you walk, you learn, you stumble. People come around you and pick you up and help you out because you're practicing. So the way we would talk about it at our church was to make the reality of Jesus known, to practice the way of Jesus as a family of apprentices, called, equipped, and sent. I'll figure this out eventually. Something like that. Yeah, there we go. Now I lost it. Now we're back. All right. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Um, third idea, we'll look at a paradigm for apprenticeship. Simply lay out a framework, pretty, pretty familiar uh, idea. There we go, I'll leave that up there. All right, so you see there's four quadrants there. There's the, we'll talk, start with the top. There's the content yeah, the Holy Spirit in the middle, he's informing, powering all of this. This is what gospel apprenticeship or disciple making looks like. And there's these four quadrants or four areas we're developing. There's the teaching or what we're doing right now or what you do in Bible studies, what you do in your own devotions. You're learning content. It's filling your mind. 
But there's also the belonging, and that's a context for apprenticeship. You see, you do big, small groups. I don't know if, if Glenn just can't choose one, but they're big and small. I don't know what that is. But you do some form of community even now. The Ledge is a community group. You're going to serve uh, a community this afternoon. You're going to hang out at, at some lake, apparently, near here this afternoon because <laughs> you're doing community. So that's the context for apprenticeship. And then there's the... The practice of apprenticeship, that looks like sacrificial love, right? So that's on the left side there. You're practicing the way of Jesus. That's where your servant hearts come in. That's where the people that serve in this place and work in this place, that's where your work, again, to help bring justice to this community. That's where hospitality uh, and true sacrifice and selflessness and generosity play in. It's the gospel expressed uh, through your hands and through your giving and through what God's given you. And then worship at the bottom is really the fuel. It's the foundation. It's the fuel for apprenticeship. It orients our life Godward. And I sense the Spirit moving even this morning in this beautiful room as this band led us. All of a sudden, the Spirit descended. I don't know if you felt it as well, but you could just tell and it just resonated. The Spirit of the Lord is here. We're worshiping. It's fueling our hearts to, be, to want to be more like Jesus, to want to spend time with Him, to want to grow in His way. Every church develops these in some way. I'm not sure what the strengths of the rock are. I'm not sure which of these are more developed. I could guess, but I don't need to. I actually don't want to. Because you know, and that's what matters. You know which areas are more developed and which areas are underdeveloped. And I just want to encourage you in that. We'll talk more about it. But that's the Great Commission encompasses all of these. Right? For the sake of time, I won't walk through that all. But the Great Commission just walks, walks through each one of these. So some of you are looking like, oh, that is, what a type A nerdy pastor. Puts it all in a nice quadrant like that. It's way too clean. Boxes, triangles. If you're an artist, you're annoyed at this. This is like, what is that? What? Can't we just live? Can't we just do it? Yeah, I get it. Um, but it's just, it's a simple, maybe clumsy attempt to depict what we believe God has called this church to do. And for some people, this may be helpful. The thing is, Jesus did all these things perfectly. Right? None of us do, or even close. You've got a great pastor. He's a good shepherd. He's a good man of the word. Right? He's the first to say Jesus is a whole lot better. Jesus is perfect at all of these. He's the perfect teacher. He himself is community. Perfect relationship with the Trinity. Ultimate picture of sacrificial love, the cross of Christ. He is the object of our worship. So Jesus embodies this perfectly. And he calls us to worship him in spirit and in truth. So now the fun part, so what? That's great theory, Pastor. Yeah, it's, it's pretty canned, pretty simple. I could read that in, in some sort of a book from a Christian bookstore that may not exist thanks to Amazon. <laughs> um, but let's, let me just share a few pastoral perspectives from the last decade or so just to encourage you. Hopefully encourage you. First thing is this, good things take time. Good things take time. The work of apprenticeship takes time, and that's okay. I don't know your personalities. I don't know the, the culture of this community, if it's laid back and, and chill, or if there's a level of pressure and expectancy that we need to be working harder or doing more and quicker. I don't have a sense of that. Again, I could guess, but you know the truth of that. Good things take time. So take some pressure off to perform or be at a certain point by now. Like, oh, I've been a Christian for X number of years. I should be at this point already. And there's that pressure, and all of a sudden there's a, there's a voice of shame and condemnation. I want to encourage you just to remove that. Ask the Lord to remove that from you. That's not his voice. 
More guilt, more pride, uh, more pressure rarely produces healthy disciples, healthy apprentices, or a healthy motivation. Right? Sometimes we forget that Jesus took 30 years to prepare for ministry. Be patient and yet persistent. I'm not talking about being lazy or sloppy or having allowances for sin and chronic poor behavior. Not at all. I'm saying take some of the pressure off. It takes four years to become a plumber. It takes 10 years to become a physician. Um, it's it's going to take some time to become more like Jesus. Amen? It's going to take some time. Give yourself some time. You've got time. Sanctification, the word we use, the fancy word for maturity in Christ, is, is a crawl, not a walk, not a run. Sometimes it's a walk, and occasionally it's a little spurt of like, wow, you look back, and I really grew a lot this year. And then other years, it's just like flatlining. And some years, it feels like you're stepping back. Sanctification is a crawl. Not being soft, I'm not talking about being soft on sin, not at all. But let's be so passionate about the work of Jesus that we call and encourage one another to repentance and to life regularly, to live aligned with the gospel. Let's be known as a community. Let you be known as a community for encouragement, for patience with one another. Hebrews 10, let us, uh, verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another. Oh, there I was right. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So good things take time. Secondly, know your stage and season as an apprentice. There are stages and there are seasons. If the goal is to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to practice the way of Jesus, these grow and build on one another. Right? So we, we call it abiding. We abide, we spend time, we remain with Jesus. And then we grow, and then sometimes we get pruned. And then we rest, and then we grow again. That's the stage of growth in life. Uh, what stage are you at in your apprenticeship? All right, some of you may be skeptics, as I mentioned. Uh, you may be new to this. Uh, might not even call yourself a Christian. Some of you are in the stage of starting to get this. Maybe you've, you've come forward, you've prayed with Glenn or a family member, or you're a new person to Jesus, a new apprentice, and everything's new and fresh and wonderful. You're like, I can't believe I didn't know this for that many years. How come somebody didn't tell me the story earlier? All right, some of you are there, and some of you, I suspect many of you, have walked with Jesus much or most of your life. Statistically, that would be true. We're not known uh, as, a, as a church for evangelism. We like to think we are, but we're not known for conversions after 10 years old. So I suspect many of you have been Christians for much of your life. And some of you are also in sweet seasons of growth, where you're hungry for the word like you've never been, where you're eager to invest in the next generation, where you're, you can't wait for your new neighbors to move in, even if they're renters, right? You can't wait for the new Squamish people to move in and build that beautiful new home because they moved from a, an overpriced city, because you want to meet them, you want to reflect the light of Jesus into their life, you want to pray for their salvation. I'll say this, apprenticeship or maturity is not always proportional, It's not always proportional. Sometimes you're growing in teaching. Sometimes you're growing in sacrificial love. Sometimes you're growing in in just helping the the downtrodden, the orphan or the widow, as the Bible talks so much. So for us, that looks like fostering. So right now, we're in a season where fostering and adoption is just a huge, disproportionate part of our life. So we're living out that reality, but we're not growing in our doctrine very much. I haven't had a really good, deep Bible study in a while because you know what? This is the area that God's put me in for this season of life. So it's disproportional, but I would say this. That's fine, but don't settle with that. 
allow there to be a little bit of tension. Don't, disproportional is fine, but don't let it get so distorted that you never grow the other areas. You never grow in community. You never grow in connection with the Spirit. You never grow in worship. You disconnect from the church. You stop singing. You stop expressing. You stop worshiping God with your heart. So I want you to grow in your heads. The Lord wants you to grow in your heads about Jesus, but you really need to grow in your hearts. You need to grow in your hands and your expression and be rooted in Christ. Pay attention to your season. There's, there's many, I suspect, young families in this church. The last thing they need is for some single dude or some dink couple, double income, no kids. The last thing a young family needs is the pressure to do more discipleship. They're on four hours sleep. Like, they're just, they're, it's a miracle to have food on the table and a clean diaper. They're living for nap time, and that's their only quiet space. And then some young couple comes along and like, you need to, be, you need to join us with this. We need to do this thing together, and everybody's got to do it together at the same level of intensity. Like, okay, maybe, but maybe not. So be at, be at peace with that. Pay, pay attention to your season. I've seen a lot of couples really burned by just pressure. Some of you may be full-time students holding down two part-time jobs or vice versa. Maybe you need to just abide, spend time with Jesus, get alone to a quiet space and be with him. Some of you are in that season of flexibility and growth and equipping others. Just lean into that. Pour out where you're able to. Encourage and stretch people a little bit, maybe a lot of bit sometimes, but trust the Lord and don't pressure people. Invite them in and then walk faithfully. Model that to others around you. There's lots of different seasons that we've been through in life and, and that you're all in. Be okay with that. That's part of God's work of sanctification in your life. Don't underestimate the power of simple practices. Right? Sometimes this is like really too complicated. We're talking about being apprentices, disciples, followers of Jesus, and, and you look at Christians and they glaze over like, what does that mean? Um, Matthew five sixteen. we read this this morning. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. All right, we don't produce that light. Let your light shine. Before. It's not your light. It's actually the light of Christ reflecting in your life. You're not the light. We reflect the light. The light is Jesus, and he radiates off even the simplest acts of generosity and hospitality and kindness. So if you're married, love your spouse well sacrifice for him or for her. Be a good friend. Help someone who can't return the favor. Practice simple hospitality. Again, I need this sermon more than anybody. I needed this reminder this morning. So don't, don't receive this as pressure. This is me preaching to myself. Sometimes we forget that one of Jesus' favorite missional practices was simply sharing meals with people that were very far from him, that were very different from him. He came to seek and save not the religious, but the lost. And often he did so while eating and drinking, according to Luke 7, right? Think about Zacchaeus, right? Imagine that scene. Jesus walking along. Hey, you! Yeah, you up in the tree. Zach, dinner tonight. I'm homeless. I got nowhere to go. You live in uh, probably Crumpet Woods. You got a nice home. You steal from your neighbors. Let's do, let's do a meal together. You, I'll bring the mangoes. You bring the steak. Bring your friends. I'd love to meet your friends. There's so much to share. It's going to be a great time. You got the water. I'll bring the wine. All right, so that's what Jesus does. He like finds those people very different. Let's have a meal together. Let's, let's swap stories. Let me share about grace. Let me share about who I am, what God's done for me in our context. This is the way of Jesus. Supernatural transformation often happens through simple practices. 
This is a lonely place. It's an isolated place. I mean, maybe not in here, but the city, certainly our, our culture in general, Vancouver on an extreme level is a lonely city, but I suspect there's loneliness here as well. We probably need a more robust eating and drinking strategy for loving our neighbors. Now, maybe not with Glenn. You might be the one church because Glenn loves eating and drinking with other people. This might be really well developed for you. So if, if so, just like yes and amen. And if for some of you just need to be encouraged to eat and drink more with non-Christians or with young Christians and celebrate that, that's the way of Jesus. I think your pastor probably models that really well, but Jesus models it perfectly. Ask, who has the Lord put in your life that's watching you closely, how you spend money, how you talk about others, what you're, what you're dreaming for, what you're, what you're thinking about, what you talk about, what you care about? Who's God put in your life? I mean, your kids, obviously, if you're a parent, but your neighbors, the people at work, your colleagues, your classmates, who is that? It's, none of those are accidents. You're apprenticing them whether you like it or not. The question is, are you a good apprentice? Are you an apprentice that points to Jesus, or are you pointing to yourself or some other hero, some other functional savior? And it also warned, and lastly, just don't complicate this by thinking that you don't know enough. Literally, that's one of the most crazy things I've heard, but I hear it all the time. I don't know enough, pastor. I haven't had a class. I don't know. How, I can't be a disciple maker. I just... Literally, this generation has more information than any generation has ever had cumulatively. We have way too much information. You know way too much about Jesus. That's crazy to say, but it's actually, you, you literally know too much. You have too much information. What you need is an encounter, a fresh encounter with Jesus. You do not need more classes. You need more time with Jesus. And he'll break your heart for your neighbors and the lost and your spouse and the areas of sin he'll bring to light. And he'll lead you to repentance and, and to life not to condemnation. So the problem is never information in our culture, or rarely. It's very, for a short time, it may be information, but it's very rarely that. The, the, the challenge is transformation. Again, apprenticeship isn't the work of pastors. That's part of what we do, but it's part of what every Christian does. Back to the Great Commission. Remember, it says, go and make. Go and make. Go as you go is how that should be translated. It's not just go to go a faraway place. It's like, as you go, go. As you go, make. In the normal rhythms of your life, whether that's in September going to be going to school, walking your kids, driving your kids, whether it means you're at school yourself, whether it means your job. Hopefully for me, it means a new job. Whatever it is, go as you go and make disciples. It doesn't have to be super formal. It's an unending rhythm. It's don't connect, disconnect it from your normal rhythms. It is actually your normal rhythms of life. Find a way that works in your rhythms and be about the king's business. Go as you go, as he calls, as he equips, as he encourages and sends us out with his spirit. There's a great old Tim Keller quote. I don't know if it was on here or not. I thought I had it up there, but sort of, sort of works. Christians should be a dynamic counterculture. It's not enough for Christians to simply live as individuals in the city. They must live as a particular kind of community. Jesus told his disciples that they were a city on a hill that showed God's glory to the world. Christians are called to be an alter alternate city within every earthly city, an alternate human culture within every human culture to show how sex and how money and how power can be used in non-destructive ways. So Christians work for the peace and the security and the justice and the prosperity of their city and their neighbors, loving them in word and in deed, whether they believe what we do or not. The citizens of God's city are the best possible citizens of their earthly cities.
So we've covered a lot this morning. I want to honor the time and your time. But just remind us too, there's a, there's a significant problem here with apprenticeship. And that is that we don't have what it takes to do it. This is, these are great ideas. We have a person to follow. We have some good practices and patterns. But we do not have what it takes to do this well. Or to bring the forth the fruit that we, we desire. Healthy apprenticeship really is a supernatural work by God, for God, by His Holy Spirit. And that's why it's good news. When you see disciples being made, apprentices being made in your church, recognize that's God. He's working. You may have a good shepherd, and you do. But it's God infusing His power and transforming hearts and lives. We don't get to take the credit for a good discipleship program. That's Jesus' work. We submit to Him. We want to trust Him and, lead and, and, and be led by Him in a good way. But we don't get to bring the fruit. We just plant the seeds. We just water it with prayer. We just long for Jesus to move. We, want, we ask him to bring conviction where we're out of alignment and say, Jesus, would you save people? Not because of me, but despite me. So if you're like our family and you're in a place where it's evident to everyone around you that you don't have it together, that's the season of life we're in right now. There's no, I can't hide it. I can't hide the bit of chaos. I can't hide the stuff that's, that's not sorted out because we're in a strange season if you're, if you're there, um, I just want to encourage you, praise the Lord. Lean on Him. We get to lean on Him. We get to rely on Him. We get to, to walk out of our weakness. There's something God wants to grow in my heart and in your hearts if you're in that place. Watch God work, and when you're done, when the next chapter opens, you're not the hero. Jesus is. So Rock Church, continue to live on, on mission. This is your mission. It's the mission. I'm just reinforcing what you've been taught for many years if you've been here. Practice the way of Jesus. You are apprentices. Make the reality of Jesus known in your life, in your rhythms, in your family, in your job, in your education, in your coffee, in your ledge conversations this week, in your uh, worship in the park this afternoon. Everything's done for His glory. So ask yourselves a few questions. Who's your life pointing to? Do your lives demand a gospel explanation or are they just self-made? Are you living by the same priorities as your culture? living for the weekend, living for the time on the mountain? Or are you walking to a different rhythm? Are you salt and light? Are you reflecting God's light? Are we engaging in humble and bold and winsome proclamation about Jesus with our lives and with our words? Is the gospel, the work of Jesus and the person of Jesus, the primary orienting principle in our lives? Really? Or something else really the primary and we just add a little bit of Jesus, like spicy sauce to make it taste good? Or is it the primary? Is he the primary orienting principle in person? Who are you worshiping? Is another way to say that. In Matthew 28, there's a, an interesting two words or three words. Just before the Great Commission, we read these words. And, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Right? Realize that's beautiful. There's worship. Okay, when you see Jesus, you, some worshiped, but, but some doubted. Some doubt it. They wa they're literally watching Jesus see these miracles happening everywhere. They're seeing him ascend, and they're like, I don't know. I'm not so sure he's really who he said he is. And they're seeing supernatural works. It's a reminder that anybody that comes to Jesus, it's a miracle. It's not because they saw a sign. It's because Jesus gave them a new heart. It's a miracle when anybody bends their knee and softens their heart to Jesus, which is why although we work like it matters, it really, it's, it, we rest in Jesus to do the ultimate work. We can rest because it doesn't. So I, we would like to say, like, what would it be? Bapta, Reformed, Anabaptist? I don't know what we are. But we work like it depends on us, but we rest because it doesn't.
We work like it actually depends on what we work towards, but we rest because it doesn't. But if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, again, I'm so thankful that you're here. I'm honored that you've spent even this time with us. Um, this is Jesus' loving pursuit of you. You're here this morning because he wants to call you, wants to give you a new heart. He wants to adopt you. And he's a good father. We've already sung those words, but he is a good father, a great father. I want to invite you to him. Talk to Glenn. Talk to myself. Talk to somebody you, you may know here and ask them to tell you more. Get you a Bible. Point you to Jesus. They would love to look at you as a friend and as an apprentice and co-labor together. Church, know this. Regardless of how influential the rock ever becomes, um, our city doesn't need this church. It needs the rock that you're built on. We're simply called to be faithful, to be humble witnesses of his way and his truth. Jesus invites us to be yoked to him. And what does he say about that? Connected? He says, it's not a heavy burden. Or if it is heavy, you won't know how heavy it is because you're not carrying the weight. My yoke is easy. My burden is light, he says. So Squamish apprentices, you've been called. You're being equipped. And with the spirit of the living God, you're being sent to your neighbors, to your families, to your extended families. Now rest in Jesus. His way isn't one more thing you need to do or some more knowledge or something else you've got a notch on your belt. It's the unforced rhythms of grace. I'd like to invite us all now to, to respond to this risen Christ who sacrificed his life for you in the perfect way on the cross. As the band comes forward, uh, I'm going to pray as well. Remember, Jesus is the one who rose to conquer the power of death, Satan, and sin, to save you from having to earn your salvation, and he's the one who invites you to follow in his steps. So come forward this morning as we're going to have a time of communion where we remember and reflect on the body and the sacrifice of Jesus. We eat some bread which symbolizes his body broken for us. We dip it in, or we drink. We're not dipping, we're, di we're drinking some, I'm going to guess, juice or wine. I'm not sure how reformed y'all are. But it symbolizes his blood shed for us, for our forgiveness and our freedom. This table isn't for you if you're not a Christian yet, but if today is the day that you want to throw your life at his mercy, then I welcome you to this table and I welcome you to pray, and maybe for the first time to receive the body and the blood of Christ. For the rest of us that are Christians, spend some time asking Jesus, where are you out of alignment? Where do I need to repent and walk in weakness? And then as he reveals that, live in the freedom of confession. Pray quietly and then spend, spend some time remembering, reflecting, worshiping Jesus. By grace, let our light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Let's pray together.